Well, as we begin today, uh, you can take a seat if you like. Uh, we, uh, I want to begin with a little bit of a poll. And uh, that poll is this. What's more likely to kill you? Uh, so I've got four options here. Uh, the first one is six alcoholic drinks a day, obesity, smoking 15 cigarettes a day, or loneliness. So yeah, you may kind of have a clue. It's, it's loneliness. Scientists say it's loneliness. Now be really clear. I'm not endorsing any of the other options. So, <laughs> so please don't go home and say, hey, the pastor said I can smoke 15 cigarettes a day and I have six drinks tonight. Woohoo! You know, that's not the, the take home from the sermon today. But, but it is staggering the impacts, not just in our soul, but on our body when we are not living in relationship with other people. And what I've found over the last several years, especially living in this community, uh, I'd say the vast majority of you who are here in the room live in one of these four cities, Prescott, Chino Valley, Prescott Valley, or Dewey. Uh, In our area, I continue to hear about the challenges post-pandemic and just with all of the transition that's happened in our community over the last few years, people moving in from other places that create challenges relationally. And so I kind of put together all the conversations that I've had, and they kind of fell in three three buckets. There's, there's three relational problems that I hear about most as a pastor. And the first one we just mentioned, it's loneliness and isolation. I hear from people, hey, I don't have any friends. The time that I come to church is the time that I'm around people the most. I spend a lot of time by myself. I, I feel disconnected. I, I was really connected where I was. I wasn't lonely or isolated when I lived in that one state that shall not be named that everybody moved here from. Uh, but... <laughs> But when I moved here, now I sense, I sense more loneliness and isolation, and we've seen that continue to grow. The second one may be surprising for you, and it's shallowness. I hear from people that, hey, I'm having a hard time getting to know people. Yeah, we can talk about the Super Bowl and our love or hatred for Taylor Swift. Yeah, we can talk about uh, the weather. Yeah, we can talk about places to eat. But, but when it comes to really knowing each other and getting beyond the surface, I'm finding that surprisingly hard. I know people, but our relationships are really shallow. And then third, and I'm hearing about this more and more, especially since 2020, is what I call fractured and broken bonds. People say, I've lost friends recently. We used to be close to each other, but then we realized that there were some things that we saw the world differently about, that that caused us to reassess whether we could be friends because we disagree on this thing. And so over the last few years, one of the things I've realized that it's becoming harder and harder to be closer and closer to people. And many of you, if you think back to the last few years, you've taken some hits. You've taken some hits in your relationships. Some of those relationship hurts have led to soul hurts and heart hurt. And and so what I'm hearing more and more from people is I'm raising the white flag. I'm just raising the white flag. I'm just throwing in the towel. All of this relationship stuff, Scott, the juice is not worth the squeeze. The time and effort is not worth the cost. And so what I'm hearing is phrases like this, I'm just going to do this alone with Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not giving up my faith in Jesus, but Scott, I've lost my faith in people. And so I'm just going to, I'm just going to do this by myself. 
And so the, the, the loneliness and the isolation gets worse. The shallowness gets worse. The impact of those fractured and broken bonds gets worse. And if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we're, we've been in this series that we're concluding today called, called You in Five Years. We've been talking about the fact that all of us are becoming a certain kind of person. And the choices that we're making today and the things that we're doing today are setting the stage for that. And one of the big ideas of this series is that if nothing changes, you in five years is just an exaggerated version of you today. And friends, if you today is lonely and isolated, if you today is only shallowly known, if you today is just living in the aftermath of fractured and broken bonds with bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and resentment, the exaggerated version of that in five years, friends, you don't want to see. And one of the things I want to share with you that I learned as I was getting ready for this message is that if you are lonely today, you are seven times more likely to get deeply involved in politics. Seven times. That's 700%. Does it make sense now when you're interacting with people about politics, why it's so crazy? Because people who find all of their meaning and purpose in politics are deeply, on the whole, lonely. That's why the stakes are so high. And so today what I want to do as we walk through the final message in this series is I want to help you not just have different relationships, but I want to help you to become more like Jesus because those two things are inextricably linked together. If you're taking notes today, here's the big idea. You cannot become like Jesus without living like Jesus. Just fundamental principle. If you want to become like Jesus, you can't do that without living like Jesus. You can't admire his life and then not follow in his practice. Part of what our friend Eric Bells is doing all over Africa is he's helping pastors to not just read God's word, but live it. Not just preach about Jesus, but practice the way of Jesus. And so today there's a question I want us to answer. And that question is this, what do we learn from Jesus and his first followers about relationships. And I think there's a lot that we can learn. And one of the first places we can learn is in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to open it up or turn it on and turn to the book of Acts, which is the fifth book in the New Testament, the second section of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you get to Romans and 1 Corinthians, you've gone too far. Acts is a shortened title. The original title was called Acts of the Apostles. And this is a book of history of the first followers of Jesus after Jesus returned to heaven. And we're going to read two different passages that are very well known about the early church. Beginning in Acts 2.42, this is what the passage says. They, these early followers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together, and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and their property, and they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now, if you have your Bible, just jump over to chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. Love that sound, by the way. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But instead they held everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who sold land or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need." Here's the first thing we can learn from these early followers of Jesus, and that's this. Intimacy is impossible without intentionality. Intimacy is impossible without intentionality. You read a passage like Acts 2 or you read a passage like Acts 4, and those are not accidents. They didn't just magically happen. It required incredible intentionality, sacrifice, commitment, and dedication for the early followers of Jesus to live like this. And one of the things I noticed this week as I was reading these texts is that what we see in this passage is the disciples replicated in Acts what they'd experienced with Jesus. The experiences of Acts 2 and Acts 4 didn't just come out of nowhere. They came as a result of what the disciples spent three years with Jesus doing and watching happen every single day. So that when Jesus went to heaven, they started to practice what he modeled for them. Let me give you an example right here. Mark 14 says they, the disciples, came to a place called Gethsemane, and he, being Jesus, told his disciples, sit here while I pray. And so he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. Jesus is being incredibly intimate and transparent with the disciples. He's sharing what's going on inside his heart. This is not shallowness. This is intimacy. So that when the disciples then are doing life with one another in Acts 2 and Acts 4, what do they do? They share intimately with one another. The text tells us that they break bread together and they eat together. They, they celebrate the highs and lows together. They, they pray together every day and they listen to the apostles teaching what we now call the Bible. It was just oral tradition back then like our friend Eric talked about. And what the disciples and the early followers of Jesus were doing is they were merely replicating and doing what they had done with Jesus. They lived together every day. They shared together every day. Their, their lives were known to each other, and they were intentional, and that's how they got that kind of intimacy. Now, typically, intimacy is a word that we reserve for, for only like marriages. We kind of just leave that over there. 
Whenever I'm talking to a couple that's about to get married, I share a quote with them. And it's not original to me, so please don't think I'm this smart. I, I got this quote, I took it, and I just share it now. But it's absolutely true. And I tell these couples, you're either in your marriage going to be reacting to or seeking to replicate your family of origin. With this new marriage you're about to embark into and this family you're going to start, you are either going to react to and go, I am not going to be like my parents. (laughs) Or you are going to try to replicate and recreate your family of origin. And most of us tend to be on one of those extremes. Now, here's the thing. As great as your parents were, and I may blow your mind for a second right now, your parents weren't perfect. And so if you merely replicate that, you're going to be replicating imperfection and dysfunction. And if you go, Scott, I know what I'm going to do. I am not going to be my parents. That may be wise, but that is not a worthy life goal. You're not going to stand before God one day and go, hey, I wasn't my mom and dad. Well, good job, buddy. Like, that's, that's not enough. <laughs> it's not enough to just not be someone else. You have to actually be something that's good, not just not be something that's bad. And, and the reason why I bring this up is this big idea that you can't become like Jesus without living like Jesus. We've got to understand, hey, if I'm aspiring in five years or 10 years or the rest of life that God gives me to become like Jesus, then we have to start taking seriously, okay, how did Jesus live? And if you're one of those people who raised your white flag and said, Scott, after the last few years, it's just not worth it. I'm just going to be me and Jesus. Then you're not living like Jesus because Jesus chose 12 and he did life with 12. And if you're doing life with zero, you may be trying to become like Jesus, but you're not living like Jesus. Which leads us to number two. If we're going to follow the way of his disciples and Jesus, then we have to prepare for the mess in relationships. Just keeping it real. If you're going to have relationships, you're going to have mess. And Jesus experienced this. One of, the, one of those 12 guys that he invited to follow him was a man named Levi. We know him as Matthew. One of, his, one of his writings is the gospel of Matthew that begins the New Testament. And Matthew was a tax collector, which was incredibly unpopular in his day. It wasn't like the IRS today that most of us have a quasi-relationship with. We like to only think about for a little bit and then move on. The tax collectors in this day would, would take taxes for the Romans and then they would put a commission on the top and profit themselves. And so when Jesus calls Matthew, it creates all sorts of problems because they're like, how could you have a meal with him, much less be that kind of person's friend? But Jesus wanted everyone to know that he would meet people where they were and that Jesus came not to call the healthy, but sinners. He came to actually meet people in their sin and help save them from it. And as he began to build a relationship with Matthew, Matthew's whole life changed. And Matthew's story tells us this important principle that that building relationships is essential, but it's not easy. 
I mean, Matthew wasn't the only one that would experience this. The early church would experience this. Acts 2 and Acts 4 are great, but please don't think that the early church was perfect. They were a hot mess. By telling you to Acts chapter 5, they literally have a church service, and as people are coming in, they're carrying caskets out. Because people decided to lie in church to the apostles, Ananias and Sapphira, and they literally carried them out, their corpses. That's literally Acts 4 into Acts 5. It's a wicked, swift plot change. Acts chapter 6, the early church fights over how do we care for all of the widows and make sure they get fed no matter what race they're a part of. And then they get in a fight by Acts 15 and 16, Paul and Barnabas, who are the two greats, over whether they're going to take a young man named John Mark who was kind of flaky, like young men often are. And what we see in the book of Acts is that if you, if you have less relationships, you're going to have less mess. Just truthfully, I'm just going to keep it real. If you have less friendships, you're going to have less mess in your life. But here's the other piece. If you have less relationships, you're going to have less mess and you're going to have more loneliness. So you get to decide. Are you going to prepare for the mess that comes from being known and knowing, from seeing other people and being seen, from having people in your life and you being in theirs? Or are you going to have more loneliness, die earlier, have more health problems, and when crisis comes in your life, not if, when, have no one to turn to. And that's why I say in order for you to become like Jesus, you have to live like Jesus because Jesus prepared for the mess. And here's the third thing we learned from his followers. Expect the drift. Expect the drift. There was a passage that I think a lot of us rediscovered in 2020 in the book of Hebrews. We heard it read a lot. And this is what it says. It says, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works and not neglect to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, what happened during 2020 is that a lot of people just got out of the habit of coming to church because for a while nobody did. And a while was different based upon where you went to church. But what happened is because a lot of people got out of the habit, they never really started it again. And if they did, they started it at a much different pace. And so what we saw in 2020 was not only the loneliness epidemic at peak level, we saw the drift within bodies of Christ and between believers. And friends, that wasn't a new phenomenon. 2,000 years ago in the first century in Judea, there were followers of Jesus who had to be reminded not to neglect to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. So if you ever struggle or sense this resistance to come and draw close to people, you are normal. And you go, Scott, if I'm normal, what do I do? How do you resist the drift? Well, I've got some ideas for you. And the first one is consistency. You resist the drift first with consistency. We said the first week that you in five years, becoming the person God created you to be is less about intensity and it's more about consistency. 
you begin to say, hey, I am going to consistently take a step towards people. I'm not going to try to fill my calendar with six activities. You're not going to leave here today and text six friends. Hey, I need a lunch with a friend every day this week. No, bad idea. That's intensity. Consistency is I'm going to do it week after week, month after month, year after year. The second piece is proximity. I love, I love my phone. It helps me to connect with people. But let me tell you, there's a difference between pixels and proximity. Big difference. If I'm struggling, it's great to see somebody's pixels. It's much better to get a hug. It's much better for somebody to put a hand on me and I can, I can feel their breath as they pray for me. And some of us, our problem is we like our space too much. And we need to get closer to people. Proximity. See activity. Some of you are like, Scott, I'm not going to go sit this week at a coffee shop across from another dude and just pour my heart out. I know. You need to get activities. Because often what happens is in an activity, while you're sitting not face to face, but side by side, you start talking, working on a project, going on a road trip, going out shooting together, going out hunting together, going out for a run or a hike. Often intimacy is the byproduct of activity. And then D, vulnerability. If you want to resist the drift, you're going to have to let people see you. You're going to have to practice vulnerability. You're going to have to let them in. And yes, that's where the hurt comes. But if you can't be known, you can't be loved. If nobody actually gets access to really see you and know you, you will not only never be hurt, but you'll never be loved. And here's the last one, and I was so happy I found a way for it to rhyme. All of these is the word adversity. Adversity. I've got a couple of friends that are going to come up right now. While they're coming up, I just want to remind you, some of your best relationships are the product of your hardest times. You thought about that? Like your closest friends, they're the result of your most difficult experiences. And often what happens is God uses adversity to draw us together. And so what I wanted to do today is I wanted to give you a story, not just my words, but a real story of consistency. And so I'm going to invite these two gentlemen, Harv and Fred. Would you give them a round of applause for coming up here? As I was working on this message, I thought of these guys. Harv is one of our elders. And a couple years ago, we were working on resetting our elder meeting schedule. And we said, hey, could we do Tuesday mornings for one of our meetings? And Harv is not the, the loudest voice, but he was kind of sitting there. And I kind of sensed he was hesitant. I said, Harv, could we do Tuesday mornings? And he's like, no, I can't. And I said, well, why can't you? He said, well, I have a breakfast. And I'm like, well, can't you move it? He said, well, I've been having breakfast on Tuesdays with my friend Fred for 20 years. He goes, I don't think I can move it. I said, okay, well, we won't move it then. Um, and so we found a different day. And so what I thought is we could talk with these two guys about how they began this consistent practice in their life of having breakfast together and what God did through it. So how did this all start, you guys having breakfast together? 
Well, um, many years ago, <laughs> about 20, a little over, um, Fred was a new believer, and uh, I didn't know Fred very well at the time, but uh, my wife knew Fred's wife, and uh, a friend of ours uh, mentioned that uh, I think Fred needs a mentor, somebody to uh, kind of guide him his, in this his new this new walk. And uh, my wife, Susan, uh, was absolutely certain that uh, I needed to be that person. <laughs> well, I thought about it. Uh, Fred and I had very little in common. Fred was a very uh, well-known, very successful businessman in town. I had a military career, so I didn't see a whole lot there in common. But uh, I, <clears throat> as I uh, normally try and do, followed Susan's guidance. And <laughs> <laughs> So I called Fred, and I had no idea where this would go, and I can't remember whether we did a breakfast or a coffee, but uh, Fred and I met and, and uh, started to get to know each other. And uh, 20 years later, <laughs> here we are. Here we are. And uh, so that's how it began. And it, uh, I didn't have any particular goals in mind at the time. I thought it would be somewhat seasonal and that we would, uh, I would give him some guidance and, and we'd go from there. How was that like for you, Fred, when, when Harv reached out, Mike? Yes. Well, I um, had accepted the Lord as my Lord and Savior, and uh, then I was baptized, and my wife uh, had introduced me to, to the Lord, but I was lost. I, I, I needed uh, to learn a lot more about it, and I truly looked around for help, and I didn't know it. And uh, Harv asked me out, and I kind of was the same way. Why would he ask me out? <laughs> and after we met a few times, um, it was very, very good for me. And as I learned more about the Lord, I wanted to know more. And uh, one of the things you said here, I not only wanted to learn, I wanted to live a life mm. of following the Lord. And with Harb, we started doing uh, Bible studies of various types and then daily devotions. In our, day, our weekly meetings, um, we discussed how they affected us. And then I think one of the best things about it is how we applied them to our lives and how are we going to follow Jesus. And uh, in my life, I had not had that. And uh, it was a tremendous benefit to me. And for 20 years, mm -hmm. it just kept getting better and better. And uh, I look forward to it so much every week. Um, so it's been a tremendous assist uh, in my life. Mm. Harv, one of the things that you mentioned is that you thought this was going to be seasonal. Was there a point when you realized that this was not going to just be something that you just kind of came in and did for Fred, but it was going to be a mutual thing and go for a long run? Because I think sometimes people are like, I don't want to commit the mm -hmm. rest of my life to something I'm not sure about. How did you guys navigate that shift? I'm not sure there was any point in time. Um, it, it became, as Fred said, something that I looked forward to every week. And uh, I could tell that uh, initially it was a kind of a, uh, uh, I was a mentor to Fred, but it, uh, over time it became something totally different. And uh, as a pastor once told me, it became iron sharpening iron. Mm. And uh, I think I think the uh, 
the accountability, the uh, growth that we both felt, the uh, we we realized that we had a whole lot more in common than we thought, uh, in many many ways, and uh, so many of our values were meshed so well, mm-hmm. and uh, I could tell that uh, it was something that uh, it it needed to go on forever. Mm-hmm. So. Fred, you've had kind of literally a front row seat to watch Harv walk through life the last 20 years. I mentioned it when I, when I crashed your breakfast this week, that I think you're, I think you're closing in on 1,000 breakfasts, if the math yeah. in my head is right, which is just crazy. <laughs> um, but over the last 20 years, what have you seen God do in this man's life? And who have you seen him growing to be? And what, what, you know, what, what are you uh, impressed by and want to encourage in Harv that you see God doing in him? Well, uh, we all have adversity. There's always something happening in our lives. And one of the things we, uh, we had in one of our devotions last week was uh, worry or concern. And if you're tied up with worry all the time, then you, you just fail in life, as you were saying today, mm-hmm. depression, loneliness. But if you are concerned, and that's what the Lord has brought to me, is that... I look at the life more that way, and that's what I see with Harv, because he has his ups and downs, but how he's handled them. He's just an incredible man to uh, to have the blessing of being with and to share life with. And we do that each week. We, see, we talk about how our studies have affected us, and I think that's the main thing is that we're in the Word all the time. That's how it affects me, and I want that in my life. Mm. And Harv has shown me how to have it. So all I can do is say thank you and how blessed I am to have him. Harv, when you think about when you first met Fred at, I think he always went to Coco's the first time when they, had, they first had one of those here. Um, what, what, what did you see in Fred then, and what have you seen God do in his life now over the last 20 years? Uh, at that time, Fred was very conflicted, um, and that's what we needed to work through. Um, today, Fred is a man of peace. Hmm. And uh, that's a process. And I don't... Um, I don't. Uh, I don't know the the steps that got us there, mm. but each week, just following where the Lord led us, and uh, letting the Holy Spirit guide our conversation, took us to that point mm. where I just see Fred tremendously at peace today with mm. where he wasn't back then. So that's beautiful. There's probably people here who uh, don't have the kind of exchange and accountability that you guys have, um, but they're sensing, hey, I, I would love to have something like that. What would you say to encourage them? I think step out is the, uh, is the point. When the Holy Spirit speaks, uh, do something. Uh, and it, you have to get out of your own comfort zone to make something uh, significant happen. It won't just happen without you stepping out a little bit. And I think that's the, that's the point. Get out of your comfort zone and, and uh, let the Spirit lead. Yeah, I, I would say that's very true. And then one of the things you run into is that you're afraid to do it. But the common thread we have is the Word and Jesus in our lives. 
And that's who we want to emulate. We want to have a Jesus-driven life. And I think you're afraid to do it, but other people need that help also. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I would say that, to to reach out to other people. And you may be surprised what happens. Mm -hmm. Well, you guys want to give these guys a round of applause for sharing with us today. Thank you guys so much. Well, I'd like to just piggyback on what they shared and give you guys a couple ideas to get started with this this week. And these are on the back of your handout if you're taking notes. And the first one is I just want to invite you to prayerfully evaluate the state and direction of your relationships. Like we're going to do a state of the church next week where we'll talk about where the church has been and where it's going. Maybe you need to have one of those moments for you and for your relationships and go, hey, where am I on loneliness? Where am I in isolation? Where am I on shallowness or depth? Where am I with the hurts and the things that have happened to me? And just take account. Nobody can do that for you. I can open God's word. I can share points with you. I can invite people up, but I don't know your heart. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm the Scott Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit, you know? And so I'd encourage you to just have a moment to reflect on where am I, God, and what do you want? Secondly, I'd encourage you, we'd love to help you get more connected here. And, and part of what happened with Fred and at Harv was they had breakfast together, which is a great way to do it. Two ways that we do it is we encourage people to get involved in groups and get involved serving and build relationships to those avenues. And so these websites are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You could head out to the connection table if you want to as well. But gathering in a group and serving alongside someone else could have a powerful impact on your relationships. And then third, I'd encourage you to take one step consistently and don't give up. What what Harv and Fred shared was, yeah, it's going to be scary. You're going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to go, man, why would anybody want to have breakfast with me or hang out with me? But you have no idea what God could do through taking one step consistently. I remember the look on Fred's face this week when I told him, I think you guys are closing in on a thousand breakfasts. But when they had the first meal, a thousand wasn't even in their mind. That's what we've been saying to you all series long. We tend to overestimate what we can do in one year. And we tend to underestimate what God can do in five years. And I just want you to not underestimate what God could do in you and through you. We've got a number of resources available to you on our website. We'd love to be able to continue to resource you. But more than anything else right now, I just want to pray for you. Would you bow your heads? Jesus, thank you so much for this this powerful picture of iron sharpening iron, of one person being in a season of need and then another person showing up as an answer to that prayer. Jesus, I believe that there's a lot of people in this room and a lot of people watching online who've been praying for things in their life, praying for peace, praying for growth, praying for an end to depression or anxiety, praying for an end to adversity or struggle. And Jesus, I believe you're going to answer that prayer and that prayer is going to show up with skin on. It's going to show up in the form of another person. And Jesus, some of us are the people praying those prayers and we need to not give up on on the, the model you gave us of us being in relationship and in community. And others of us, Jesus, we need to be open to the fact that you may want to use us as the answer to someone else's prayer. That maybe we're the one who needs to reach out and say, hey, would you have coffee with me? 
Hey, I see this in you. Hey, I see you struggling. Can I come alongside you? Jesus, thank you so much that that you gave us the model that even you, when you walked this earth, you didn't do it alone. We know that it's hard to be in relationships. Some of your best friends hurt you and betrayed you on this earth. But you forgave them. You didn't give up on them. Jesus, I'm so glad you didn't give up on me. And I pray that that you in this year and in the next five years would work in our lives so that we could experience the joy that you want us to have as we follow you with others. Thank you so much for meeting us in this place today. And we worship you and we praise you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.